Welcome to Game Over International. No hockey to talk about on this one, although we got some hockey to preview for Team Canada. And uh, I'm going to welcome in my guest, Sean Fitzgerald. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing well for 6.01 Eastern time. I <laughs> yeah. think it is. What day is it? What month? I don't know what time it is. I'm asking a lot of people to come on this show. It's uh, it's it's a tough thing, I know, and I recognize that. <laughs> I promise. I look forward to your next one where it's like 3.30 in the morning just oh, to God. really get that. Really get that early morning slash like raccoon digging in your trash audiences. <laughs> That'll be a good one. I really hope that I don't have to do a show at 3 in the morning. I feel like... This is this is a fun one, but I'm hoping the next thing that we do this international will be at a normal time. I, we ha we had it with the World Juniors, but then they fell apart very quickly. Well, I mean, what, Paris Paris is five hours ahead, so that's 2024. You do it for the games there. I mean, you could could work, could work. Yeah, yeah. Bad. It'll depend on scheduling, right? Like, if they schedule kindly, it could work, right? Like, I feel like Sochi was really nice for i don't remember if the women's was decent times but for i remember the men's was always like seven in the morning and i feel like waking up for that watching that and then doing a post game right after would be all right it's just that uh, for the kids like it'd be tough getting like the daycare situation sorted that'd be in the middle of the game probably but uh it's doable in a way but uh, this is this is a tough scenario overall but we're we're going with it and there's there's stuff to talk about I mean, we'll start off with the controversial stuff because man, Russia's there's always something with Russia. <laughs> and I mentioned it on the last show that we did with uh with Erica Lindsay Ayala and and Tony Ferrari and we were talking about how the Canadian women and men masked up for their game uh, for the Russia or not women and men, sorry, the Russian team and the Canadian team for the women's game masked up because of the tests not coming back yet in time for the game and the delay that happened there and then they said that the tests came in so the russians took off their masks the canadians elected not to probably for good reason because as we learned later one of the russian players tested positive when she got back or was told that she tested positive once she got back to the olympic village and you know really sad situation for the russians the quote was all, like really sad i felt awful for her talking about like how this just keeps happening to them and they don't know why it sucks but for canada that's uh, a tough situation and now there's this quote-unquote legal issue going on in figure skating where this delayed the metal situation in the team event and there's not really much clarity here but I read some reporting last night overnight that it might be related to some drug testing. Sorry, were you talking about the Russian Olympic Committee? Because I know that's very yes. really different from Russia. Yes, the Russian I Olympic Committee. I wasn't clear what country you were talking about there. For the a while. ROC. They can Thank win you. medals, okay, okay. but they don't count for Russia. Right. See, for a while, I wasn't sure what country we were talking <laughs> about. Um, oh, the Russian Olympic Committee. Okay, got you. That's yeah, it's it's... I mean that that the game between Canada and Ru the, the Russian Olympic Committee, the ROC, was delayed for an hour 
Um, I mean, Gina Kingsbury, the manager of uh, National Women's Team for Canada, came out and said it was um, part of a mutual agreement to delay the start of the game while they were waiting for some tests to come in. Uh, that clarity wasn't delivered in time. So uh, both teams, um, in a statement from Hockey Canada, said both teams agreed to go on the ice wearing the masks. Apparently, in second intermission, uh, those tests arrived so that the Russian Olympic Committee players um, decided to go out on the ice in the third period without their masks. Team Canada kept their masks on, um, obviously now for good reason. Um, I mean, this is a thing. This is this is the part of the anti-social games, right? Like, um, you know, if, if you're out in the athlete's village and um, you're at a table with a bunch of other athletes, which might happen in a previous game, so that's, that's part of the reason you go to the Olympics. That's when, you know, you read the old... You know, the NHL players, one of the reasons they love going to the games is because they get to feel like one of us normies, right? Like they eat, they eat breakfast next to a biathlete who's been scraping by while they're finishing their graduate studies to train. Um, if you do that now and, you know, you're sitting next to an NHL player who subsequently tests positive, um, that biathlete in Beijing would then have to be in a degree of isolation and potentially miss their competition. That's where we're at. That's like you know, you're, you're walking around with dynamite at all times. So yeah, I think, you know, good on Canada who also pulled a player for, um, you know, after the warm up for an inconclusive test, I believe, I'm not sure what the update is on that status, but um, yeah, that's, that's what you're dealing with, with COVID and with Omicron that it just, you know, it's basically like, God, I, what they say, it's almost as, as contagious as the measles. It doesn't take a lot. So I mean, it was obviously a good move in retrospect um, for Canada for the mask, but that's just one touch point. There's going to be touch points through this whole thing of, of just having to avoid every other human you see because God knows. Yeah, I think it was Emily Clark was pulled in the game yes. uh, for Russia. She was back in, so she tested negative, uh, confirmed uh, back in against the United States and Canada won right. that game as well. So yeah, it's we don't get the great moments outside of just the athletics moments of like watching the athletes watch each other, like uh, the the ice dancing couple that watched the Team Canada game, and you had like the super fans of the that are athletes that became memes, and then it's just you, yeah, you don't have Scott Moyer out there exactly with the, uh, sort of leaning in and becoming a meme for the next four years exactly. And then right after the games ended, he's in Toronto and he gets to like recreate that essentially because he's or remember even Leafs John, Mon John Montgomery in 2010, yes. like before he became the host of Amazing Race. Maybe this is why is that you know he wins in Vancouver and there's that great. I would say iconic shot of him walking through the crowd in Whistler. Somebody hands him a pitcher of beer and he has a giant pull on it in national. Yep. And like, it's like, that's the thing that, I mean, maybe, I mean, we were talking before, but maybe this is the reason why this, this hasn't connected with a lot of TV viewers in Canada and the U S yet. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a thousand other reasons, um, but ratings are pretty low. Uh, historically low for the opening ceremonies on on CBC, and they've been really low for NBC as well. Um, that you just can't connect with that moment. The whole point of the Olympics is it draws you in with the emotion of it. I mean, I don't know much about biathlon. I don't know anything about big air, but I do know that 36 seconds after watching it and getting hooked with the emotion, I have big opinions on what moves they're doing, right? So um, I think that maybe absent those crowd shots, absent that sense of connection that that we're not watching it as much. Um, I mean, 
<laughs> the, the story that you miss before every single games, which was absent here, is that, you know, oh my God, the host committee is running out of condoms to give out in the athlete's village. <laughs> like we, we read that every single Olympics that, oh, how many condoms? They gave out 36,000 condoms for the athlete's village. Well, guess what? We haven't read that story this time because no. you can't. Well, because I wasn't. You have to avoid each other. Weren't there stories in Pyeongchang about how they'd like made the beds for the athletes? Like, uh, it was like there was a story that came out that was like they made them only able to support one person's weight, and it was, if you put it was two Tokyo. on them. It was Tokyo. Yeah, Tokyo. Okay, it was Tokyo. So it was, yeah, it was. Um, it was the cardboard beds, um, that were meant to be sort of a nod to um being more environmentally friendly because they could be broken down and recycled pretty easily. Um, but it was also again a pandemic games that. Um, you had athletes in there, like jumping on it, like trampoline athletes going in and jumping on the beds to prove that, yeah, no, if you need some business to complete here, you can complete it on these beds. <laughs> well, I remember listening. I actually think it was Steve uh, Dangle on the, their podcast where they were like, oh, no, what are the athletes going to do? It's not like they could use any other surface, <laughs> like the most fit people on the planet. They can't do anything now. Now that you've made these beds a little bit biodegradable, I digress. Like, but I mean, I mean, yeah, it's it's. I think it's a valid digression in this case that um, part of this whole experience, part of the Olympic experience, is you know once the athletes are done. I mean, you've been training for four years for this, and even more so here. That I mean, I mean, uh, we talked about this last time, but like Rachel Holman and John Morris. We're training in like the shining uh, up in Canmore, BC before this, like, you know, snowshoeing during the day and curling in an abandoned club at night just to avoid people. Like, you know, that's, that's obviously the extreme edge, but like these athletes for years, like you've trained for biathlon, you're out there skiing, you're out there shooting often by yourself or with very few people around you for years that part of the reward is when you're done, win, lose place or otherwise, um, you're in the athlete's village for the rest of the games and you can celebrate and hang out and decompress and have fun and generally go out and see the city or the surrounding area you're in. There's none of that here. It's get in, get out. Um, and I think that that really deprives a giant sense of what these games are, of why we do this. Yeah, and that's, it that's sort of that's emblematic of the whole experience. Yeah, it, it kind of. There's things that have happened in these games that are spectacular to watch, but in not having the most human elements of the Olympics, it doesn't feel like the Olympics. You know, you were, we're halfway there, but we're not fully there. Like you mentioned Morris and Homan, and that the game where they were eliminated was an absolute heartbreaker, but it may have been like one of the best games of curling I've ever watched. And that final rock, the fact they had to measure twice, yeah. they were eliminated by less than a millimeter. Yeah. Like that's incredible sports, you know, like incredible yep. moments, but because it's, I think it's a combination of the time of day. It's, it's really tough for a lot of Canadians. I feel like a little bit easier for people on the West coast, but I mean, unless you're watching something that's going to take place at eight in the morning, like a lot of the hockey games are going forward, but it's just really not feeling like the kind of thing that we are used to the, that very human reaction where you have the families there that are being interviewed. You have, instead we've got like a holographic interview and like, God bless Andy Petrillo, who is one of the most talented broadcasters in this country. 
for doing what she's been doing during these games, but it's just not the same watching her interview an image of somebody as opposed to somebody you can take in like the studio that we usually have for covering these Olympics. And you can bring in people from different sports and talk about each other's things and what they've experienced in the Olympic village. It, I don't want to say it sucks, but it kind of sucks. Well, I think like you think back to Rio and, you know, CBC, it was able to have cameras and reporters go out all through the country basically and say, Hey, Canada, by the way, this is the country that's hosting the games. Look how gorgeous this is. Look at the people, look at the food, you know, help experience this, like go out to the beach and um, here the CBC and NBC, as far as I'm aware, but the CBC certainly doesn't have anybody, um, wasn't able to get anybody, wasn't allowed to have anybody outside the Olympic bubble. So there are no reports from Beijing. There are no reports for outside. And obviously um, that's for very good reason because yes. the government doesn't want any of that for, again, obvious reasons um, related to human rights abuses and, and real-world important serious news stories that would absolutely get in the way of a sports event that's meant to sport wash all of that. Um, but, you know, you don't have any of that sense. So in a way, it feels like like an NHL game right now in yeah. Canada, right? Like or, or an NHL game early in the pandemic where it's, you know, there's nobody in the stands, so it's kind of transactional. Um, it doesn't feel, it doesn't have any of that emotion. It's just a bunch of people wearing colorful clothing, chasing a puck between car commercials and phone ads, right? Like it's, it's not anything that you get emotionally invested in. And, and honestly, that's the dopamine power of the Olympics. You get emotionally invested. Like I'm sitting here and, you know, I will watch 23 hours a day of the Olympics. Um, I, I don't think Canada and maybe even the U S has had that fish hook moment. That, that drags us all in to really care about the games. You think back to Tokyo, um, again, you had the time change issue. You had the fact that we're living in you know Groundhog Day with a deadly global pandemic yeah. all around us, a lot of the same issues, albeit the weather was nicer outside, but um, you had moments that dragged you in. You had Andre de Grasse, you had Penny Alexiak, you had these wonderful Olympians doing wonderful things. Um, you still have the wonderful Olympians doing wonderful things, but I don't know if there's that broad sense of connection yet. And that might still arrive. Yeah, it might. I mean, I, it took a while, I think, f for the Vancouver games. I mean, it, like people were connected. They were in it. But it kind of took until Canada won their first gold for people to be fully in it, right? And it, right. It, it seemed like it was off to a stutter start at that point as well. And we're, I think, a little bit deeper into these games than we were in Vancouver. But it's possible that something could happen that, is an inflection point for the country and people get engaged a lot more. I will say that last night I was incredibly entertained by the women's slope style event in snowboarding. I, I love that event to begin with because it's just absolute chaos and anything can happen at any moment. But in the qualifying run, uh, Tess Critchlow put on one of the best shows I've ever seen in that event. She went from fourth to first. I believe with no crashes, it was just full pure skill of being on her proper edge at the perfect times cutting in. And it, it was absolutely incredible. I was really sad actually that she didn't qualify for the final run because that run was so great. I just wanted to see her get rewarded for it, but at least, uh, trying to properly say the name. I think it's Marietta Odin won bronze for Canada. But uh, the gold medal winner, I think, is a great story as well. 
Lindsay Jacob Ellis from the United States. I believe was 2006 the first time the slope style was in the Olympics. Do you know, Sean? I think it was. I don't have that written down in my notes. Let me see. No, I don't have it written down. <laughs> yeah, so I, <laughs> I, I think it was. No, I, sure. I could be wrong, but she has competed in this event every single year or every single Olympics from 2006 on. I went and watched because somebody posted it. Her run in the medal round from 2006 in Turin. And she was far and away ahead of everyone. There was two, actually, I think three crashes. So she had nothing to be worried about. She was just taking it easy. And then on right up to the very end of the race, like the last jump, she decided that she would do a trick up in the air after she went off the last jump and she didn't land it. She fell off the course and then somebody came up behind and passed her at the last possible second and she got silver. So 16 years later, she gets to amend that mistake and she absolutely crushed it and won the gold medal in this event this year. And that's like, that's a cool story. Like if I was American, that would be the best day in America since the orange guy lost the election. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you have the flip side from last night too, Michaela Schifrin um, DNF for the second straight race, um, mm. which again is the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. Um, you know, the, I think it was a slalom, grand, uh, giant slalom. Um, I mean, you had uh, Keegan Messing from a Canadian perspective yesterday, uh, you know, basically 36 minutes after he touched down in Beijing after, you know, quarantine, um, obviously hyperbole there. I think it was 24 hours, he said. He got off the plane, uh, got his negative test, went straight to the rink, um, had practice. What he later told the CBC was his best practice session, um, and then went <laughs> out and skated his heart out um in the short program and i think finished ninth and qualified for the long um you know and while he's waiting for the judging results showed a iphone picture of his little guy on the phone um i mean it's just that's the range of emotion we're talking about that's the high that's the low that's the you know even though you know you're ninth coming out of the short program still genuine reason to celebrate and i think that's the best part of these games is that we learn all of this and um again I mean, we've said it all along, like the Olympics are the best run by the worst. Yes, 100%. And there's also like speaking of America, I know this, this is a mostly a Canadian broadcast, but I got a shout out <laughs> to uh, Sean White as well, who one of those guys who's just hanging on probably at the end of his career in the snowboarding circles. He's the old gray beard now, but has been so dominant for so long. He messed up his first qualifying run in the half pipe. And there were the people calling it were like, oh my God, is Sean White not going to qualify? Is this the end of Sean White? And then he just like killed it in the second run and I think came in like third or something like that. So Sean White still not gone, still a contender and a force to be reckoned with in terms of snowboarding. Halfpipe's another one of those, like go through the list of, of how many Olympic winter sports you'd be comfortable even trying. Oh yeah, no way. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, watch that. Like, I mean, the, the air, the speed, the dynamism, I would hurt myself very, very badly just getting off the start. It, it's just incredible. I mean, the big air uh, is another one. I mean, to say nothing of moguls, but there are so many winter sports that could cause grievous bodily harm with very little, with minimal effort compared to the summer programs. Like, I, I guess, you know, javelin, I could probably hurt myself if I was walking through the field at the wrong spot. But like, there are so many in the winter where you're like, no way. 
Like you get to that course, you take a look at the half pipe up close. I remember getting to Sochi up in the mountains and seeing the half pipe up close and television doesn't do it any measure of justice that, you know, I'm not saying it looks flat, but like you see how steep it is when you get there. It's, it's the side of a mountain. I mean, in Sochi and you look up and you're like, you really get a far deeper appreciation for what, for what those athletes do. Yeah. I mean, you look at, they have like the jump height measurer on the half pipe. And I was like, yeah, they are jumping. Their highest jump was five meters, like <laughs> five meters. They're averaging 3.3. It's like, that's, that's a lot. It's it's a huge amount. And then during that, like the, the qualifying, the sky got like super, super hazy and the light got a lot lower and it was like six or seven people in a row fell. And you could see when they were going up into the air, they would lose their orientation because it's almost like the sky was matching the same color as the snow. And if you weren't looking, like if you didn't catch the blue lines, like you couldn't get your depth perception and guys were bailing on their spins. Right. So like even just the jumping part is scary, but then the idea that you could lose your orientation while you're in the air, that that's terrifying. (laughs) That's beyond terrifying. We showed, uh, we were watching ski jump the other day as well. And we have a 10 year old and a seven year old. And the game I like to play now is, Hey, do you want to try that? Like, no, (laughs) yeah. In unison. (laughs) like hey let's let's look at sports we can try you want to try that nope nope yeah my four-year-old wanted to know what bobsled was because he's been going sledding a lot this winter so i I showed him like a bobsled run and he was like oh yeah he sees the sled i want to do that i want to do that and about halfway through the run he was like i think that's too scary for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah me too (laughs) it's like wait till skeleton yeah yeah if you i mean even starting out in those sports I imagine that there's slower courses to get you used to doing that. But also in the back of my head, I'm like, how many large bobsled luge and skeleton courses can possibly be built in a country? Like how many exist? So like Canada, we have Calgary and and Whistler, right? Right. Sliding centers there. Um, But I know that like, you just can't go, downtown toronto and try and practice that uh i don't know if mont royal has a has a has a course up there that you can you can no zip idea. Down. maybe in the mountains and laurentians i i don't know i haven't i haven't looked into it but my thought is like there can't like the scale of going up in difficulty must be pretty steep and i feel like the entrance difficulty is probably a lot higher than what i would want to try <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, bobsled's an interesting one too because you have a lot of uh, crossover athletes that have been interesting stories. I know Felicia George, uh, the Canadian hurdler, um, took a run, no pun intended, at at bobsled. Um, you know, there's uh, Jesse Lumsden, obviously the former Canadian university uh, tailback at McMaster, who went on to you know uh, a cup of coffee with the Seattle Seahawks, and then a, a shortened career, unfortunately, to injury in the CFL, is um, a member of the Canadian bobsled team or had been for quite some time. Um, bobsled's a really interesting one, um, but again, one of those ones that I wouldn't dare get in there. Not even on a, not even like in the middle of a four person. Like yeah. even like the two person, like Kaylee Humphreys, um, you know, would talk about, you know, because you're in there as a pilot and you're getting in there and you're the person who's pushing you hops in. Right. But they're wearing like tiny tack metal spikes to get 
footing as they push off on the sled. So if they're, if when they hop in, if their foot placement isn't absolutely perfect, you're wearing those cleats in uh, your backside. No. <laughs> in your backside. So Kaylee Humphries oh. would talk about like in the beginning about how she'd have like, she'd get down at the bottom and it'd be like something was walking all over her with um, like golf spikes, like the oh. old golf spikes. And you just be cut and bleeding and you're like, you're, you're suited be just trashed. Oh my gosh. I've never yeah, even thought awful. about that. Yeah. <laughs> that does not sound pleasant at all. No. Oh my God. The things these athletes go through. And no, thank you. Like, so doing it. Yeah. Like doing it at the Olympics, you're like, Oh God. Oh, you cut me. Hey, but you know what? We're at the Olympics. High five. Yeah. Like a Thursday in February, two years out from the Olympics on a training run. Yeah. Like you're like, ah, yep. When you're training and you can't even have like a burger or something because you're trying to be like the fittest of your life and you're like, we're two years out from this, like the motivation that it takes to stick with that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't have it. It's it's (laughs) very obvious, but uh, I was complaining about getting up before 6 a.m. just for this during the Olympics. (laughs) I couldn't imagine like you and I doing this two years out from the next Olympics. I'd really be. I mean, if if the idea was brought to me. A month ago, I probably would have. If it wasn't my idea, I don't think I'd be convinced to do it. You got to get training streams, training streams going. Yeah. Like in like for the next for the next winter quadrennial, like two years out, just in like a July six a.m. Talking. Oh my god, yeah, it's it's a lot. Uh, Thinking like even some of the sports that you have done in your personal life, if you take it to the Olympic level it just becomes a whole nother thing. Like Alpine skiing. I can ski. I can't do anything close to that. <laughs> like when they have like the speed markers down, they're going like 130 kilometers an hour when it's blistering wind to the point where they've had to postpone the event several times. That is insane. You know, the interesting thing is like you talk to some Canadian downhillers. The thing that I never really thought about was when you get going at that speed, I'm like, what does it sound like? And they're like, you can't hear a thing. Yeah. Um, because it's it's like, you know, literally driving on the highway with your head out the window. It sounds like there's a thunderstorm with constant rolling thunder for the one minute and 46 seconds, if you're a little slow, I guess, like a minute and a half of just pure thunder in your ears. You can't hear a thing when you're going down the hill at that speed. Wow. It's I couldn't imagine. No, it, it's it's crazy. Did you see the uh the skier that got it in the I did. Yes. The, the audio is even worse. That would be one skier potentially, even if this wasn't a COVID games where the offer of free prophylactics might not have been as welcome at this point immediately. <laughs> there's like the initial scream and, and as, cause there's sometimes when you get hit there, there's like the initial fear of it. And then there's, it's like almost like a delayed reaction. If you know what I mean? And it, the delayed reaction noise that he had was uh, guttural, we'll say. See, and that's one of the sports where you're like, you know what? I could try that. I could do the slalom. I'd be really, really slow. And my finish time would be 10 minutes, but I could do it. No, no, you couldn't. Because no, just even do the then, pizza the whole way down. Yeah, you could You could absolutely hurt yourself. Yeah. It's, there's it's, no safe sports. No, no, there's nothing. I mean, maybe curling, but uh, not playing three games a day. You'd probably... No blow out your groin or something and even you look at the mixed doubles and the, the speed at which uh, especially 
one I noticed, the uh, the Swedish man, Oscar, yeah. the speed at which he would get up after throwing the rock and then sweep his own rock, that's incredible. Like, like Johnny Moe. Johnny Moe is one of the fittest curlers in the history of curling. Um, and even then, like they were talking on the broadcast, Colleen Jones was mentioning that, you know, there were times early where, you know, he'd call in uh, Rachel Holman to help with the sweeping. And that was um, not necessarily a tactical thing for that shot or that game, but it was looking ahead to make sure that, you know, he had gas left in the tank for the other draw that day. It's a lot like, I will say, at least with the curling, you get like some chances to redeem yourself. I feel bad for the athletes who you build up all this time over four years, and then you have basically one chance to not screw up. The intensity of that, like you get out, you get out to the big air, you get out to. I mean, any especially the ones where there's only one run. Mm-hmm. I mean, the qualifying, even then, you miss qualifying. But you know, maybe if you don't perform up to standards, you can still make top eight and move on to a final. But I mean, yeah, especially for a race that's, you know, 90 seconds. You've been training, you've been rehabbing, especially if you're a downhill skier, you've probably got two or three knee surgeries in your back pocket um, to get out there and to do that. It's just incredible. Like that's, you know, I remember being at the bottom of the hill in Sochi when Jan Hudets came down and they called him Panda. Um, I mean, that guy's knee, it looked like a roadmap, right? Like just stitches and everything. Cause he'd had so much, so much work done on it. He gets to the bottom, he gets a bronze. And that was, that was, that was his moment because it was a tribute to everything that he's done and a testament to um, being able to bounce back. Like there's so many stories. There's, there's a story for everybody who's gotten to these games. Yeah. A hundred percent. And speaking of story, something that's just happening as we're talking now, the uh, short track speed skating men's 1500 meter is ongoing in the quarterfinals. And as far as I can tell, looking through the results here, uh, Charles Hamlin won his quarterfinal, quarterfinal number four. At 37 years old, he posted the second fastest time of anyone so far in the quarterfinals, only beaten by, uh, I believe, Hungary's Sandor Leo Shaolin. Hungary? No. H-U-N? That's Hungary. Is it Hungary? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never seen Hungary register in the short track speed skating game, but apparently they have somebody who's amazing at it because uh two minutes and nine seconds for 15 minute uh 1500 meters sounds pretty fast another sport i wouldn't try it's roller derby with giant knives on your feet <laughs> yeah, no kidding maybe try it like by myself you know <laughs> nobody else out there. i i've i've been to watch charles hamlet train at um maurice richard arena next to the big o that's that's the rink down there right i think so um and I mean, the training is just so intense, but I mean, they're doing these speeds in a hockey rink and I mean, you're watching them turn and it's not just doing it by themselves at high speeds. It's with three other people with them. Yeah. And, you know, the longer ones, the essential, like the relays, uh, where you have the next group in, in the, the inner circle, getting ready to tag out. It's, it's a phenomenal sport to see in person. It is. It's one of the craziest sports for going from like, ecstatic that something's happening to oh no everything's gone wrong things go wrong quickly and i find whenever a skater loses an edge you see how much like force essentially they're taking the turns with right because they spin out like crazy like they just fly off the rink right so incredible sport i just uh in awe of charles hamelin that he was able to do that and i hope he wins a medal again because at 37 years old it in a sport that's that like high end for like cardio 
that's incredible. That's uh, something that you don't see as often, I find. It's a signal that it's not too late for you and me. Let's go. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Let's go. 2026. The, the out of shape Olympics. We should do that. Sponsored by SDPN. I think that's what this is right here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is what we get to do for the Olympics. But I feel like that's probably all we need to uh, talk about for today. I thank you again so much for coming on, Sean. Before we close this out, tell everybody where they can find your work. Uh, theathletic.com. Uh, I sometimes prattle on and provide links on Twitter. It's a ridiculously difficult and complex handle. I have no idea why it made it that way. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's there somewhere on the Twitter if you want to spend time on that app, which I don't necessarily encourage. Yes, and there are links to Sean's Twitter, Sean's athletic page, and his book in the description for the YouTube video and the podcast, so please check those out. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Hopefully you watch this or listen to it throughout the day as well. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more Olympics talk. I think there's going to be a lot more hockey talk tomorrow because we're going to be previewing uh, both the quarterfinals for the women and the begin. Oh, no, maybe not the quarterfinals for the women. Just the Canada-Germany men's hockey game. Quarterfinals for the women we'll preview on Friday. But uh, we'll talk to you all tomorrow morning, bright and early.